Hello, Christ community. Really glad all of you are here. Greetings to our, our West Campus and our 15th Street Campus and our Traditions venue. Again, glad that you're here. Hey, I want to take a moment and uh, just talk about something mentioned earlier in the, uh, in the announcement video. This coming Saturday is our second serve day this summer. This one is focused on schools, and that's what Tony was talking about, bringing supplies. We want to bless children that way. So I wanted to just talk about, um, I kind of want to pull the curtain back for just a moment and talk about why we do this. Why do we take a Saturday morning in August to do practical things at some schools here in town, like, you know, helping their camp us become more beautiful and vibrant. And here's why. It's because we want the children who attend that school and the teachers who teach at that school and the administrators who administrate there, we want them to know that we value them, that they matter, they are important to us, that we are here for them. One of the best ways to communicate that is through acts of service in Jesus' name. Now, you may be thinking, what difference does it really make? to help beautify the landscaping at some school or to repaint a wall or a parking lot curb or something or to put together backpacks, you know, for supplies for a student. What difference does that make? Well, Jesus once gave incredible value to anyone who offers a cup of cold water in his name to someone in need. See, the, these practical acts of kindness that we are doing, are, are, they're, they're a cup of cold water, cup of cold water to some schools in our community that have needs. And those schools are filled with children who have needs. At the end of the school year, last May, uh, the last day of school, we, our staff and some volunteers from Christ Community, went over to Maplewood Elementary. We've kind of adopted that school and uh, went over there and did a big blowout, big party for the schools and so for the, for the school and the children there. And so we had bouncy houses and volleyball going on and food. The food truck was there. It was just it was a lot of fun. And I was helping with the volleyball area. <clears throat> And I noticed this like third grader kind of standing by himself. And so I went over and just was making conversation. Hey, how you doing? What's your name? He said, Juan. I said, hey, Juan, I'm Alan. Good to meet you. So you excited about summer? And he kind of looked down at his feet. No, he said, I like school. I said, well, do you have anything fun kind of planned for the summer? And, and uh, he just again said, no. And I just felt in his answers and his countenance, I just had this feeling that his home was probably not a place of encouragement or safety or love. And I wonder how many hundreds, maybe thousands of children in our community are just like him. They don't know how much they matter. Well, we want to be a church that's all about helping kids know they matter. That's why we do Kids Hope Tutoring at Maplewood and also started a program across the street at Jefferson Junior High School. It's why we take a Saturday in August to bless our schools in practical ways. We want them to know they matter, that we're here for them. So I just want to encourage you to be a part of this coming Saturday. Sign up, join us this, this coming Saturday. It's, it's a great way for e-groups, for families to engage in mission. It's a great way. Take a morning and engage in mission. We need, I'm just going to say it right up front, we need we need. 100 more people right now. We need 100 more people for this Saturday. And we're not partnering with other churches on this one. This is just us. We've got like four or five schools we're helping with. This is just us. We've talked to the administrators. Here's their, they're telling us what their needs are. We're going as a church. We're doing this. And so I just encourage you, please, please 
um, prayerfully consider being a part. It's going to be great. It's going to be great this Saturday. We do need you to sign up if possible by Monday so we can kind of plan numbers and projects and all that stuff. Okay, so if you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to Psalm 62. We are in the midst of this summer teaching series entitled When I Feel and, and dot, dot, dot. We're kind of, we're, what we're doing in this service is, or in the series is looking at some of the Psalms in the Bible in order to see what, what it looks like in this journey with God to, to experience him in the midst of various challenges and negative emotions that we may experience in our lives. And so we've talked about experiencing God in the midst of depression and experiencing God in the midst of, of failure and, and when we sense God's absence and when we doubt his goodness, all these things. Well, today we're going to talk about the experience of temptation. What do we do when we feel tempted? When we feel drawn to something that we know is not God's will for us, something that we know is not good for us, but we still feel this pull toward this thing, this activity, whatever it is. So as we dive in here, let me just stop. I'm going to stop. We're going to stop. And I, I want to ask you to take a moment. You can either write this down or just in your head. Um, just I want you to list, list the things that you are tempted by. Just think about it. What are you tempted by? Okay, now as that list is kind of forming in your mind, let me ask that same question a different way. List any things other than God that you use to cope with the stresses of life. The things that you turn to for comfort or escape. See, the reality is anything we use in the place of God to cope with stress fits into the category of temptation. So in light of that definition, I'm guessing we all have a list of at least a few things that are very real temptations for us. Some things, maybe they're kicking our butt, spiritually speaking, right now. So maybe that's where you're at. So the question is, what does it look like to journey with God in the midst of this, these areas of temptation? Well, we find some answers to that question in Psalm 62. In this psalm, like many of David's psalms, he focuses on his enemies. He focuses on people who are trying to kill him. But the more that I looked at this particular psalm, the more I realized that the enemies addressed here include not only flesh and blood enemies, but also the enemy that we deal with every day, the temptations that assail us every day. How we handle those temptations will have a huge impact on the kind of life we live and the level of joy that we experience. There is a lot at stake for all of us here as it relates to how we handle temptation. So let's jump in to this passage. What I want to look at first is the nature of temptation. David uses some pretty vivid language here to, to highlight how temptation works. So look with me at verses three and four. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Now, now again, he's initially talking about physical enemies, but it applies perfectly well to our battle with temptation. Notice how David describes himself in this scenario. He says, I'm a leaning wall. I'm, I'm, I'm a tottering fence. I mean, can you see that in your mind? It's this picture of vulnerability. David doesn't feel strong. 
He feels like a fence that's about to keel over, right? A wall that's about to collapse. Can any of us relate to feeling that way? You see, here's the dirty little secret about temptation. It always focuses on our areas of weakness, on our our moments of vulnerability. It is constantly constantly looking for that chink in our armor, that area, that opportunity where we are vulnerable, that area where our fence posts are kind of rotten out and, 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 and it's leaning over. See, all of us have areas in our lives like that, areas of weakness, things that we things that we turn to to cope with stress. Activities that make us vulnerable to jealousy or, or lust or fear. Satan is not stupid. He is not going to focus his energies trying to tempt us in areas where we are strong, in things that will have no impact. No, he is constantly looking for areas of weakness where our fence is tatter, teetering, right? Because that's where he can bring the greatest amount of destruction, Another thing to notice about temptation here is that it is always rooted in deception. It is always rooted in deception. David says in verse verse 4, they take delight in lies with their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. See, this is how temptation works. It is always rooted in a lie. Always a a lie that, that has been dressed up to make it look really good. You deserve this. It will make you feel so much better. No one will ever know. No one will get hurt. Everybody does it. See, in these places of weakness, these whispered lies, they sound totally reasonable. They sound totally legit, right, and appealing. But their intent, as David says here, their intent is to destroy you and me. Their intent is destruction. They want to rob us of life. See, what these lies always cover up is the consequences of our actions. Always. The negative impact. The lie always covers up the negative impact that this behavior, this temptation or whatever will have on our lives if we give in. How this particular action will cause our fence to come crashing down. Negatively impacting not only us, but the people around us. That's their goal. And it's why this issue is so significant in our lives. The longer we excuse these things or these behaviors, the longer we minimize them, the more damage they will do. Not necessarily overnight. No, it's the drip system impact, right? That's how, that's how this works. Over time, it just keeps eroding. It just keeps rotting our fence posts, It keeps distancing our relationships, just eating away at our joy and peace. And you know how the fence post, when you put it in concrete, you know, know, it just kind of, the wood just rots away over time. And then one big wind and just kind of snaps. But it was rotting all along. It was weakening all along. So we see how temptation works. It goes after our weaknesses by deceiving us. And when we give in, it messes up our lives. Okay, which, which raises this critical question. How can we not go down that path? You know, if it's that, if it's that bad, how do we not go down that? How can we respond in the midst of temptations and our areas of vulnerability? How can we respond in a way that enables us to walk in greater freedom and, and greater life? Well, well the, the rest of this psalm gives us some powerful insight in this regard. And, and I heard someone say that David's focus in, in, in his psalms, David's focus in these psalms is not as much on the enemy 
as it is on the inner me. And I think that's where so often the battle is won or lost. Yes, accountability is important and filters and fleeing temptation. All those things have their place in helping us overcome our temptations. But if we don't look at the inner me, if we don't look at what's going on in our hearts, we will not experience freedom from these things. So there are three, three specific things that David encourages us, actually he, that he does in, 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 in his situation, in, in, in his vulnerability, and he encourages us, he urges us to do the same. First, wait on God. Wait on God. Look with me at beginning in verse 1. How this psalm begins is really significant, and we're going to look at the actual language in Hebrew because it's really important. But David writes here, truly, my soul finds rest in God. Then jumping down to verse 5, yes, my soul find rest in God. See, what David is describing is a posture of waiting, a posture of rest, which is so counterintuitive when you think about it, right? If some temptation is eating my lunch, where, where I'm giving in more and more, and it's wreaking havoc in my life, it seems like the last thing I would need to do is wait, and rest. No, I need to do something. I got to fix this. I got to change this. I got to get a plan together. And, and all of that may eventually be helpful. It will be, as we'll see. But it is, it is not where David begins. It's not where he begins. David begins here by laying a foundation. This is a foundation for our ability to overcome any temptation in our life. And that foundation is God alone. See, in the Hebrew language, word order is very significant. It adds emphasis. In the Old Testament, written in Hebrew, this is written in Hebrew. So the word order is very significant. The first word in the Hebrew version of this, the first word in this psalm is the word that the NIV translates truly. But it actually, a more accurate translation of this word is the word only or alone. See, David begins, first word, he begins this psalm with the word alone to emphasize that it is God alone who can deliver him. Only you, God, can do this. And that is true for us as well. If we are relying upon willpower and our own strength to overcome these areas of vulnerability, we will be in trouble. See, David is asserting, apart from God, I can't defeat this. <clears throat> apart from God, I cannot de defeat this. Now, those of you um, who are familiar with the 12-step kind of program out there, you know, in terms of people overcoming addiction, you, you know that the first and, and foundational step to the whole 12 steps, the first one is to acknowledge that I am powerless to be on my own to beat this addiction. See, the path to freedom begins by hitting rock bottom and realizing I can't defeat this in my own strength. On my own, I want to give in to this temptation. <laughs> That's why it's tempting, right? On my own, I want to give in. If I keep relying on me, I'm toast. See, this is exactly what David is declaring in this first verse. Here's kind of my, my translation. If we were to, to do it the way the words are ordered here, it would be, for God alone, my soul waits in silence as my enemies attack. That's what he's saying here. Now, the waiting 
that David is describing here is not a, is not a waiting of inactivity, like waiting in a stoplight, you know, or, or waiting for an oil change or whatever. No, the, the waiting David is describing is a posture of absolute singular dependence upon God alone. He is intentionally, David is intentionally resting in who God is rather than who, who he, David, is. Who God is. So notice what he says next here, verse 2. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Verse 5. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. See, David uses these vivid word pictures to describe this, right? God is his mighty rock. He says it twice, his mighty rock. I mean, what a powerful picture of strength and stability. I mean, imagine, you know, some of those rock formations around Moab or, or, or Garden of the Gods in the springs, you know, they're just huge, stable, unmoving. That's how David sees his God. David also says, God is my fortress. He, he is this protective wall of strength around me. He is my refuge. He, he is my salvation. He, he is the only one who can deliver me. I mean, David, again, he says, my salvation and my honor depend not upon me. They depend upon God. It's not on my strength. It's God's strength. And then David says, I will never be shaken. Now, now contrast that word shaken with the imagery we just, he just described in verses two and three, this teetering fence, this leaning wall. There is a completely different picture here David is giving than that. See, on our own, we're like a fence that's about to fall over. On our own, we're like, we're a fence that's about to fall over. Our best efforts at resisting temptation are nothing, are just like a, a teetering fence. Our best efforts are a teetering fence. Now to, now to press this metaphor just a little bit further, what some of us most need in our battle with temptation is for the fence to fall. And here's what I mean by that. It's for us to stop relying on our own effort and to let God, the rock, build our fortress. Someone was sharing with me recently, something they saw posted on the internet, whatever, where, where someone had said um, that God, God is like Home Depot. He said, God says to us, you can build it, I can help. And when I heard that, I thought, no, <laughs> no, 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 that's not how this works. God doesn't want to simply help us repair our, our tottering fence. No, he wants us to, he, he wants to replace our fence with a fortress that he has already built. So then our job becomes knowing how to rest in his fortress, how to lean on his strength, how to surrender to his power. See, my soul waits in silence for God alone. There is nothing else that can deliver me from this and you from this. I, I, I know myself. I know my weaknesses. I need more than a pep talk to try and fence, you know, to try and keep my fence propped up. I need more than a pep talk. I need a new fence. I need a new fence. 
And see, this is what Jesus offers us in the gospel. The gospel is not about Jesus saying to us, you can do it, I can help. That is not the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus saying to us, you can't defeat this, but I can. I've already done the heavy lifting. I died on the cross. I rose from the dead. Sin's got nothing on me. So if you rely on me, Jesus says, if you rely on me, my strength becomes yours. See, that's the gospel. It is not a cooperative self-improvement project. It is a total makeover. It's a total makeover. You know, it's, it's like a mouse sitting on the back of an elephant who, after they cross the bridge, the mouse says, man, we made that bridge shake. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, you know, J Jesus makes the bridge shake, right? We're just along for the ride. Jesus has done the heavy lifting. He's done the hard work. We're just along for the ride. Which leads to the second thing David does in this psalm, and he urges us to do. Not only wait upon God, then he urges us to trust in God. Trust in God. See, look at the next verse of this psalm. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. See, in, in this verse, we see something very important about temptation. This is very important. When we are tempted to indulge in some sin or to try to find comfort in something apart from God, when we're tempted to do those things, there is always, there is always a deeper issue going on under the surface. It is not simply about saying no. Just say no. It's not simply about that. It's ultimately about what we're trusting in, what we're setting our heart upon. So look at what David says next. Verse 9, surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on the balance, they are nothing. Together they're only a breath. See, notice how David is kind of preaching here. Right? Early in the psalm, it was first person. My soul, God, you're my rock. It's all first person. Now he shifts gears. He's using second person. He is talking to you and me. He's talking to us. And he's saying to us, don't put your trust in people, high-born or low-born. Don't base your decisions on what other people think of you. I mean, we, we, do this, we do this every time we start feeling depressed or jealous after looking at Instagram or Facebook and comparing ourselves to the vacation our family, you know, our friends took or the hair they have or their kids, achieve, their kids' achievement awards or whatever. I mean, no wonder that food <clears throat> at the refrigerator looks so good after spending an hour in Facebook envy, right? Because we're so depressed after seeing what everyone else is doing. And, and we're reminded of the lie, oh, look at what have with our, our, our life, compare all that stuff. See, we're, we're trusting in people. We're trusting in people and what they do and what they think rather than trusting in God. Like, oh, I got to put a better image out there because you know, it's just, no, we're, trust, we're not trusting in God. And it causes all these negative coping things to happen. Verse 10, do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. See, it's like David's reading our mail here. I mean, how often do we turn to Amazon Prime for some retail therapy, you know, just to satisfy some longing in our soul, just to kind of feel better for a little bit? Or maybe, maybe we watch, you know, HGTV to, to convince ourselves that our house is just way too small and boring, Right? We need, a, we need whatever. See, what are we trusting in? 
Honestly, so much of our lives is spent trying to cope. Really. So much of our lives is spent trying to cope. We're trying to numb the pain of our loneliness, our boredom, our insecurity with shopping or alcohol or food or exercise or our children's accomplishments or pornography or some fad diet that makes us look fabulous or 10 hours of Netflix binging or whatever. And I'm not saying food is bad or dieting is bad or exercise is bad or Netflix is bad, or, but in and of themselves. No, but here's the deal. They become, they actually, they do become harmful if we're using them to avoid looking in our hearts. Then they become harmful, whatever it is. If we're using these things just to escape, to avoid looking in our hearts. If we're using them as God substitutes, as a way to cope with life. See, because what we're doing, when we, when we do that, what we're doing is actually trusting in them rather than in God. We're, we're setting our hearts on these things rather than God. And, and, and in doing so, they're robbing us of life. They are robbing us of life. All of them make lousy saviors. They're robbing us of life. See, we're actually breaking the most important commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. In other words, trust in him. Look to him to satisfy your soul's longings. Look to him to satisfy that. So think for just a moment about the top temptation on your list. Okay, you don't want to ask you to share it or anything, but just think about it. I had you do a list earlier in your head or on a piece of paper. Think about the, the biggest temptation that you struggle with. And I want you just to think for a moment this question or ask of that this question. When I give in to that temptation, what am I trusting in? In other words, what am I hoping this thing will give me? What am I hoping this provides for me? Why am I turning to it? You know, what, what will it give to me? Life? Escape? a feeling of control, maybe a feeling of affection, the respect of my friends, you know, admiration, affirmation, acceptance. What role does this thing, whatever it is, what role does this play in my life? In other words, what am I trusting? And it's a really important question because this is a heart issue. This is not about willpower. It's about what our heart is looking for and trusting in. That's what this is about. And I love this phrase David uses here, verse 8, looking at Trust in him at all times. He's speaking to us, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Oh, I love that. Pour out your hearts to God. In other words, get real. Get real about this area in your life. Go deeper than just promising to do better. You know, explore the root cause. Explore the why. I mean, when we spend hours on social media, what are we really searching for? When we spend more and more time shopping, what is our heart really wanting? When we obsess about exercise, we obsess about diet, when we turn to food for comfort, what are we really trusting in? See, and, and, and when you're asking those questions, go to God with that. Pour out your heart to him. 
It's like, God, I'm struggling with this, and I realize, you know, what's going on here, or help me see what's going on here. Man, to just acknowledge and repent of the, these continual decisions that we make to set our heart on these other things rather than on him, on loving him and trusting him and, and, and finding in him the ability to cope with life. But Lord, I'm sorry, I'm turning these other things instead of you. Just have a conversation. Pour out your heart to him. Just acknowledge how hard it is. And this is a struggle. Just be open with him. Pour out your heart. Which leads to one other thing that David does in the psalm, in his inner world. And he urges us to do the same. Not only are we wait on God and trust in God. Third, we are to listen to God. We're to listen to God. Look at verse 11. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. See, let, 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 let's stop there for a moment. What is David doing in this place of vulnerability? What is he doing in this place where he feels like a, a, a tottering fence, right? A fence is going to fall over. What's he doing in that place? He's listening to God. He is listening to God. He is listening to what God wants to say to him in that place. Now, how often do we do that in these areas of temptation, vulnerability? How often do we have a conversation with God where we actually listen to him about these areas of struggle and vulnerability in our lives? How often do we go to God and we take time just to listen to him about this stuff? Not very often, I'm guessing. Not very often. Now, why is that? A couple reasons. A couple reasons. Um, one reason is because we're spending so much time focused on these other things. I mean, we've got 15 hours binge watching Hulu, 15 minutes in prayer. I mean, who has time to listen to God when we're spending so much time running to all sorts of other things to kind of cope with life? So that's just a logistical reality. But, the, but another reason, there's another reason we struggle. Um, um, it's not just that it's not a priority. That's, that's a big issue. But there's another reason we struggle. When you or I, when we give in to some temptation, again, we fail again, we mess up again. How eager are we to run to God for help? Not very. <laughs> not very. Why not? Because we feel like a failure. We feel like a loser. I screwed up again. I messed up again. God's not even giving me the time of day because I just, I've done this again. You know, suddenly we're back in the fourth grade, that moment when we got caught engraving our name on a de our desk or whatever, or passing notes to someone and our teacher catches us and calls us up front. How eager are we to hear anything he or she says? <laughs> We are not at all, because we know that condemnation and punishment are coming. So it's no wonder that we're not too excited to listen to God after we've failed. But what we fail, what we fail to realize is that God wants us near all the time. Because it's in that nearness to him that we find strength and help for the next time. 
See, his heart for us is so much more than simply obedience. Oh, just don't break the rules. No, no, no. His heart is, is for us to thrive, right? His heart is for us to experience shalom, which is this wholeness of life and freedom that comes from aligning our lives with his. That His commands are for our good. Giving in to temptation is not for our good. It robs us of joy and life. And so in this place of vulnerability and weakness, David does what is so counterintuitive to what we feel. He goes to the Lord. He goes to the Lord. He pours out his heart to God, and then he stops and he listens to God. See, it's like we forget that God is our biggest cheerleader. He is on our team. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to do well. He wants us to draw near to him when we're struggling and when we've given in again. It's like, come on, come on. He wants us to draw near to him, even though it's so counterintuitive after we mess up. So David does what's counterintuitive. He goes to the Lord and God speaks. God speaks to him. He speaks to his soul. Some profound life-changing truths. Look at verse 11. Here's, here's what he hears. Power belongs to you, God. And with you, Lord, is unfailing love, and you reward everyone according to what they have done. See, God reminds David of three truths. Here's how I would paraphrase them. One, David, I'm strong enough to handle this. Two, I love you no matter what. And three, obedience is always more life-giving than disobedience. That's exactly what God is saying to David here. I'm powerful. I love you. Obedience is a really, really good thing. Th those are awesome life principles. And, and, and there's no question that David already knew those at some level. He already knew those things in his head. But there's something so powerful about hearing the Lord speak these kinds of things directly to you through his Holy Spirit. Where the Lord speaks these things to you through his Spirit. So I have a journal that I keep um, that I, I don't write in it. Honestly, I don't write in it very often, maybe once a month, once three, every three or four weeks. Or whatever. But what I do, I have this with me in my, in my uh, backpack. I just carry it with me because there are times that I need to pour my heart out to God and I need to hear from him. And I pull out this, this journal and I, I do some dialoguing with the Lord. So as I was working on this message, I was thinking about what David was doing here. And I just pulled this journal out. And I just, uh, my backpack, and just began looking over some of the things that I had written over the past few years. And, and, and the things that, when I, when I journaled about it, and, when, and, and this, there are a number of them when I f have felt vulnerable to temptation or had just failed, had just given in to anger or insecurity or lust or greed. So in those places, as I opened my heart to God and asked him, for his perspective, he spoke to me words of life. I just have multiple examples here. Just, just a word here, a phrase here, a script. Just spoke to me words of, of life and hope and love. These things that I knew in my head. Yes, I could memorize the verses. I, I knew it in my head. But my heart needed to hear these things afresh from him. I needed to hear it from him afresh. It's such a beautiful reminder to me of how our God longs to speak to us. He longs to speak to our hearts in places of brokenness and failure. 
The question is, are we taking time to listen to him or are we letting shame keep us from that? Oh, he would never want to talk to me after what I've done. No, that's a lie. He wants to be near. Now, as if we're not convinced of this truth from the Old Testament, what we're looking at here, I want to draw our attention here to the book of Hebrews chapter 4, this amazing statement about Jesus, our high priest. This is your high priest, Jesus, your Savior. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then, stay away from him? No, no. Notice what it says here. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Wow, that is so powerful. See, we have a high priest named Jesus who has experienced what we experienced, and yet he never gave in, right? And because of that, we can approach him. He wants us to approach him, and not with fear of punishment, fear of condemnation. He wants us to approach him with confidence, because we know that it's mercy and grace and his strength that are available to us when we come to him. That's what's available in our weakness, in our failure. This is what's available. This is what Jesus is offering us. That's the invitation David reminds us of. God is for you. He is available to you in the midst of temptation or as you're picking up the pieces after falling into temptation. The key is to wait on him. Just know it's, it's only in him, his strength I can do this. It's to trust in him. Look beneath. What am I really trusting? Is to trust in him and to listen to him. What does he want to say to you? in the midst of the struggle. See, in that place and in that posture, we can and we will walk in greater victory over these areas of temptation. We will, in his strength. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Oh, man, so your word speaks so powerfully to us, and we're so grateful. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you would speak right now to each one of our hearts here. And I, I want to give just a couple of invitations here. First of all, there may be some of you, and you, you realize that you need a relationship with God through Jesus. The gospel I was talking about, some of you are on a path of self-improvement. You're just trying to impress God, trying to clean up your life and hope that God will accept you. That's not the gospel. So you need the gospel where Jesus did all the heavy lifting. He paid for your, the, the, your sin on the cross. All you got to do is just receive him. And so if that's you, I want to just lead you in a prayer right now, or just a real quick prayer, but just to open your heart to receive Jesus. So dear God, just repeat after me in the silence of your heart, just to pray this. Dear God, I admit I'm a sinner and my sin has separated me from you but I don't want to be separated. I, I want a relationship with you. So Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross in my place. 
and I choose to place my trust in you. Forgive my sin and come live in me forever, changing me from the inside out. I open my heart to you. God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them in this amazing relationship with you to grow in that. Now, for the rest of us, including those who just prayed that, but here, here's the second response. I want, us to, I want you to think about an area of temptation that God has brought to your mind today. And I want to just process, let's just walk through this psalm a little bit and just process it for just a couple minutes here. So first of all, this, this question, I'm just wondering about this area of struggle for you. Have you been avoiding talking to God about this because of your shame? Have you been avoiding coming to God about this because of your feeling of failure and shame? If so, remember what Jesus offers you. He's your high priest. What he offers you is mercy. He's your savior. He offers you mercy and grace 24-7. Okay, so let's just get that in our mind. His arms are open wide to you right now about this particular area in your life, in my life. Okay, so let's, as, as we're thinking about that, his arms are open wide. I want you just to take a moment and just wait upon him. Just wait upon him. Remind your soul that Jesus is your only hope. That apart from him, your life is a teetering fence that's going to topple over. So just, just, just wait in that truth for a moment. My soul waits in silence for God alone. My salvation comes from him. He is my rock. We're waiting on you, God. We acknowledge our dependence on you. Okay, now, as we're kind of waiting on the Lord, you can do this in your own, just make it moving through really quickly here, but this is all really, really important. Another thing here I want to encourage you to do just right now, just for a moment, look beneath the surface of that temptation. I asked this question earlier, but let's just take a moment here and think about it. What are you, what, what are you trusting in? What role is that activity or that behavior, what role is that playing in your life as a, as a God substitute? And if God brings that something to mind, just confess that to him in the quiet of your heart. Just repent of that. God, I'm sorry. I, I confess. I'm looking to this for value, for acceptance, for comfort, whatever, rather than to you. I confess that. And then finally, just this question to just take a moment with the Lord. Jesus, what do you want to say to me about this area of temptation in my life? Is there anything you want to say to me right now about this area in my life? Let's just ask the Lord and just wait for a moment to see if he wants to say something to your heart. God, thank you 
for your word. Jesus, thank you for the amazing Savior you are and that we can, we want to live this. We've just been going through it kind of quickly here for the last couple minutes, but we want to live this. We want to live this life of waiting on you and trusting in you and looking beneath to see what we're really trusting in. And then we want to be a people who listen and who run to you. Even after our failures, we just run to you and you speak to us. So I pray for that in all of us, that we would live this song, we would live this, this kind of relationship with you. So we, we've kind of designed our services so that after the message kind of points us to this response to God. So we've, been, we've heard the word and we're kind of praying and, and now we want, to, we want to respond to God in worship with some songs that have been prayerfully chosen just to engage us in what we've been hearing from the Lord. So why, why don't we stand if, if, you wanna, if you're comfortable doing so. If you want to continue sitting for a while, you can do that. But let's, let's just begin standing. And God, we, we love you and we pray, Holy Spirit, you would set us free to engage you in these songs that are a reflection of Psalm 62 and, and the cry of our heart. And so we welcome you, Spirit. Set us free to worship Jesus in this place.